0: Good morning, church. It's always wonderful to be able to come together for worship. And I have to say, I really I cherish these times that we get to come together for worship. Um, not just because I have a, a love for, for teaching and preaching and a, a love for engaging the gospel, but I love these times when we come together because when we come together for worship, it, it forces us to slow down for a moment. It it forces us to kind of take stock of of self, to to take stock of of our souls. Um, And hopefully, this time that we're together for for worship uh, causes us to re-examine where we place our our priorities and and how we coordinate our lives according to the gospel, Uh, not just within spiritual doctrine, but even the daily application of how we schedule our calendars, the fact that we are setting time aside to come together for worship is an effect of, uh, of showing reverence and awe to the gospel itself. But I was reminded actually uh, uh, two weeks ago, there's a, a, a group that I get together with every other, uh, or, or once a month, and we get together and we play some some tabletop gaming. Uh, for those of you that, that, like, you know, that understand the, the gaming world, it's a game called Pathfinder, rolling dice, and it's very nerdy. There's miniatures and math and all that stuff. But, uh, but we get together once a month because we, we enjoy time together uh, and just the, uh, the relief of, of playing games together. But we were trying to pin down a time for our next session, uh, but between... Uh, the family that hosts their kids having softball tournaments, and then there are community events and then family time away and going on vacation and uh, they 're going to to Disney one week, and then we 're taking vacation another but it 's been become so difficult to try to pin down a time. Uh, that my friend David and I were just kind of laughing and just saying, remember when we used to play games back in high school and all it was was, hey, are you free Friday night? Yeah, okay, all right, let's play. Like it was just a much simpler time and easier to set time aside. Because when you're younger, there's this abundance of free time. But as you you grow older, the the demands of the responsibilities of life place demands on your time uh, between uh, work, uh, you know, full-time, part-time, wherever you work, or for those of you that are in school, right now school is your work. You're, you're, you're called to work hard at your education, uh, but then there are some people who... Uh, are both working full-time and going to school. And so that's even more of a demand on your time. And, but then you're also required to have quality time with your family and family activities. Like yesterday, our kids are melting down, freaking out, screaming. And we decided, hey, this is a great time to go get everyone's hair cut. So, but, but that was another demand on our time. And then there are the, the the opportunities to get involved in your community to to volunteer or go connect, even here in Park Circle. I know every thursday there 's the the farmers market that meets at the Circle, and there are ways that you can get connected right here in your community and uh, there, again, there are people that volunteer. And, but then there are the unexpected crises that come up in life. And when, when something in your home or your car breaks and falls apart and you need to set time aside to get that fixed, or when someone dies in your life and you have to go to a funeral or spend time with family, all these crises are placing demands on your time. And somewhere in there, you still try to squeeze in time for friends or, or if you're really... Uh, just, if you're really chasing hard after it, you might have a hobby or two in there that at this point in life you can't really pursue wholeheartedly, but you squeeze it in there anyway. But we have all these things in our life that are placing demands on our time. And some of you might hear all of that, and you might even be thinking, I'm just tired thinking about the list of stuff that I have to do uh, this week, even the stuff that I have to do today just to get ready for the week coming up. And then Scripture comes along and says, well, but you need to to stop and rest and honor the Sabbath. And all of that other stuff of life, Scripture actually calls believers to stop and take one day to take a break from all the, the busyness of all of the rest of life and not chase after those things. And you might even be thinking, but I barely even have time already to do the things that I need to do, let alone to take a break from everything that I need to do, to rest from the things that I have to do. But we read through Hebrews 4, and the author is confident that rest is a necessity for God's people, for the believer. That, that In fact, I would even make the point that uh, reading chapter 4, or at least this passage of chapter 4, I would make the argument that every Christian should strive for holy rest not in a legalistic manner of a list of do's or don'ts and things that you are or are not uh, allowed to do. Or uh, uh, it, Holy rest is more than just making sure you get your, your post-church nap. I mean, that can be part of it, but it's more than just that. But it, it, it's not even follow these three steps to better self-care. It, self-care is a byproduct of holy rest, but that's not the goal of holy rest. But there are three ways that the author unpacks holy rest in Hebrews four, verses one through thirteen, and and we see it in these three points. The first is the rest God gave in verses one through four. The rest God gave. Secondly, in verses five through ten, we see the rest God will give. So, first, uh, the rest God gave. Second, the rest. God will give. And third, the rest you cannot earn in verses 11 through 13. So the rest God gave, the rest God will give, and the rest you cannot earn. And before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this time where we can actually rest and pause we can just sit in your word that right now uh, we we confess that even the the demands of of life what are we going to do for lunch afterwards or this afternoon all the things we need to do to prepare to get ready for tomorrow god we confess that these things are trying to distract us even now from sitting in your word and god i pray that you uh, would give us hearts and minds that are focused on what you have to say God, pour out your Spirit in this place. Speak through me. Don't let this just be uh, my agenda or my plan. But God, let use me to communicate your gospel truth to bring holy rest to your people. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, over the past few weeks, we've, we've begun walking through the book of Hebrews, and to quote uh, theologian Donald Guthrie, the, the, the theme of Hebrews as a whole is, the past has given way to better things. So, the former things that God used in our Old Testament, those were good things, but the past has given way to better things. And so, we, we saw this uh, a few weeks ago in, the, in chapter 1 where God had used prophets and visions and dreams to communicate to His people, but in recent times it's become better because the Father has spoken through the Son. And then we saw how God uh, would communicate to His people with angels as messengers and how the Son is not just greater than the angels, but that Jesus Christ makes us co-heirs with him, that he makes you and I children of God, and that Jesus' work has made you and I in our state in glory greater than the angels. And then last week we were looking at how Moses had cared for the church as a servant, but that Jesus Christ came as the Son, and how much greater will the Son care for the church more than just a servant would? and that the Son built the church for God's people to come together as a holy temple. And so chapter 4 is picking up where the author left off uh, with the, the, the concept of Moses leading his people because Moses never got to lead his people into the promised land. Moses never actually got to achieve that physical rest on earth that he was looking forward to. He got to see it off in the distance, but he never got to be there. But still, the concept of earthly rest continues for God's people. And so picking up in verse 1, we're looking at the rest God gave. In verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The promise of entering the rest still stands because there's still the concept of Sabbath rest. And we're going to unpack uh, that in just a moment. But the, the concept of resting on the Sabbath still stands for God's people. And he says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, not a fear as in terror, but a diligence to watch yourself, watch your heart, watch your spiritual growth to make sure that you are still taking time to rest your soul on the Sabbath rest. Picking up in verse 2, For good news came came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The good news to them, being Israel in the Old Testament, was the promise, the good news of deliverance. It was the good news of covenant promise. It was the good news of God's presence with His people. And those same promises, that that same good news extends to the believer today, the promise of deliverance, but more than just deliverance from an enemy nation, but deliverance from spiritual death. The covenant promise of not just that God will be with you, but the covenant promise that God has made you one of His own and that He is faithful to the covenant. In God's presence, no longer just physically leading his people through uh, the wilderness with a pillar of of smoke and fire, but that God the Father gave His Son to physically be with His people, and so God's presence is with God's people. We have the good news, just as Israel did in the Old Testament, but greater. He says, but they were not united by faith. As we looked at last week in chapter 3, they never got to enter that rest. They never got to enter the promised land because of their unbelief, because of the disobedience in their hearts, their lack of trusting in God. Their disobedience cut them off from, from that rest. And in verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. First off, I, I just, I love like the humor and the sarcasm that the author is using here, because he's writing to Hebrew Christians. He's writing to people who grew up with the, the law, to people who grew up with what we call our Old Testament. And he's saying somewhere it talks about God resting on the Sabbath. And so the, these Jewish believers would automatically know that's right after the work of creation, that right in Genesis, right after God created reality into existence, God Himself rested, and we as the church are able to enter a physical rest ourselves on the Sabbath, which was established when God gave the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20. God had freed His people from slavery in Egypt And as he gives them the law, he's not giving them the law so they can earn his love. He already gave it. He freed them. He delivered them. And he says, because I have delivered you, I want you to be set apart in this manner. And he gives them the law. Keep these commandments to be set apart from the nations around you. And in Exodus 20, verses 8-11, through God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the, Sabbath, so the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And again, uh, Yahweh being the covenant name of God, the, the name that He gave His people as they know Him. But so, because God worked and created and God Himself rested, God says to His people, you need to rest too. Merely for the fact that we as God's people, are representatives of who God is. If rest is good enough for the God of creation to partake of, if God Himself can rest, you and I can rest. But it's funny because, or or at least on, on this side of church history, it's funny because Orthodox Jews started developing rules upon rules to make sure that they would never break that commandment. And there are actually 39 rules against creative activity, things that they are and are not allowed to do to honor the Sabbath. And of course, there are things like physical labor, uh, tending to plants, gleaning, things like that, Uh, not allowed to clean or or do physical labor. But even to the point where uh, there are rules against tying or untying. You are not allowed to tie your shoes on the Sabbath. Thus, you're not allowed to untie your shoes because that is a work of creation. You're not allowed uh, to ignite things, so you're not allowed… you can't even light a candle because that is a work of creation. You're not allowed to drive your car because turning it on, cranking your car ignites the fuel within your car, and that is a form of ignition. Therefore, starting your car is breaking Sabbath commandment. Uh, You're… There are some who are even so strict that you're not allowed to use electricity because when you flip a switch, that completes a, an electrical circuit and can be considered building, and so that is an act of creation and breaking Sabbath law. They became so focused on keeping the law that they became more dependent on, their, on themselves and the rules they had created there were, they were like 39 steps to remove them from the law so they could not even get close to the law to break it. And so when the Pharisees stopped Jesus for gleaning on the Sabbath, He reminded them that man, or that the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made to give mankind, you and I, rest The Sabbath was not made for you and I to try to fulfill anything. And so God gave the Sabbath, not just as His representatives, He rested so we should rest, but God gave the Sabbath because you and I physically need to rest. We need to stop. The human body is designed to slow down and rest. Even the act of sleep itself revitalizes the brain. The human body is designed to stop and rest and recuperate. The body and the soul needs time to process, to refresh. But Sabbath rest also forces the believer to stop and focus on the work of what God has done. We're not just stopping from our own work and labor, but we're stopping so we can remember the faithfulness of the work that God has done. But the tendency of the human heart is to pursue Sabbath rest in one of two ways. One, we just avoid rest altogether just adding more and more activities. There's things to do. You know, kids have Sunday sports activities or, you know, this is the only time of the week when I can get together with so-and-so or, you know, it's a gorgeous day outside so I'm just going to skip church and I'm going to go out to the lake or go hiking or do this or do that. And instead of actually resting on the Sabbath, we put more and more things in our lives to where we can't even stop and slow down to recuperate. But more than that, by not stopping to rest, that's actually a direct violation of the fourth commandment. It's not, well, you know, like, it's, it's a suggestion. No, you're, you're not resting your heart to focus on God's faithfulness. The other tendency is to become so legalistic like the Pharisees and Orthodox Jews that you come up with all these rules and lists of things that, you're, that you will not allow yourself to do And then you end up becoming so busy trying to make sure you keep your list that you're not even having time to rest because you're trying to keep your own rules. And so I have to ask, which tendency do you fall toward? Do you tend to keep yourself so busy that you don't have time to rest? That you can't focus your heart and your mind on God's faithfulness to you? Are you the kind of person that makes rules and lists and says, you know, well, we can't listen or watch these things on the Sabbath because, well, that's a Sabbath violation, or, you know, we can't, we can't do this because it's God's day. And are you trusting in how hard you're working but ends up preventing you from finding holy rest? But just as the author unpacks the rest that God gave, believers are reminded of greater rest. As the author gets to his second point, the rest God will give. Picking up in verse 5, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he points a certain day to day saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He goes back to Psalm 95 that he quoted in in chapter 3, and he goes back to his today argument, that as long as you can call it today, as long as you're alive, if you are able to recognize and recognize that it is today, he gives the warning Do not harden your hearts. Do not be like Israel in the Old Testament and let your disobedience prevent you from entering rest. Picking up in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works As God did from his. Just as Joshua led his people into the promised land, you too have the opportunity to enter rest because Sabbath rest still exists for the Jew and for the Christian. But it's not an eternal rest. Looking at verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. There is another day coming that is not just a Sabbath rest, but a shalom rest. A rest taking place in the presence of God, an eternal rest greater than just one day a week. And where we stand in church history, we have uh, the complete canon of Scripture. We have the, the, everything that in our Bible that we call the Holy Word of God. And in Revelation, John recorded his vision to give hope to the persecuted church. And he describes the glory of the Gospel coming to fruition and providing an eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth. And we see in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And reading Revelation is kind of like reading the last chapter of a book first. It's discussing the the winners and the losers, the people who survive and the people who perish. It might spoil the story but at least within the context of a novel, it it gives a sense of relief whenever there is character conflict. You don't need to be worried about this character that you've become attached to because you know everything's going to come out okay in the end. And that's the effect that reading Revelation has for God's people. When you read Revelation, Christian, when you read Revelation, you see the victory of God over the enemy. You see Christ stand for those who have been martyred in His name. You see the future heaven and earth with no tears and no suffering. And there is an eternal rest that there will be a heavenly work, but there's no more toil, no more suffering. There's no more pain and sorrow. There will be an eternal rest as the throne of the Lamb is with us. His people. You read Revelation and you know that there will be an eternal shalom rest in the presence of God. And by following the fourth commandment, you're actually preparing yourself for eternity in the rest, in the presence of God by taking a break and stopping and resting on the Sabbath day. You're saying that you're trusting in God's control over your life, not just for a future sake, but that you're trusting God right now to the point where you can say, I don't need to busy myself because I trust that God is in control. And so I challenge you to examine your own heart and ask yourself, are you truly trusting in God, not just for a future hope and deliverance, but are you trusting Him now? Do you trust Him enough to honor Sabbath rest now? And I already know that they're going to be, there's going to be someone inevitably that comes to me after church with the joke, well, I can't come to small group tonight because I've got to honor that Sabbath rest. I already know that, someone, that joke is coming. But I would argue that small groups are designed to be part of Sabbath rest, that it's not another thing to do, but the point of small groups coming together is that it is believers speaking the gospel to one another's heart. That our small groups come together to point each other back to the cross and the empty tomb and to remind one another of the victory of God over sin and death. And that by coming together, we will actually be resting and speaking life to one another. But this actually leads to the third and final point regarding the rest that you cannot earn, because the author ends his discussion of rest with verses 11 through 3. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall, or, uh, may fall by the same sort of disobedience, He's saying, since we have this Sabbath rest now and a promise of greater rest yet to come, therefore, strive to enter that rest. And at first you might read that and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, 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 what, what? Wait, we're, we're supposed to work hard to enter rest? And it sounds like the opposite of rest. To strive to enter that rest sounds like the exact opposite of what we're trying to obtain. But your striving is not to earn that rest, but to stay in it. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And you hear that, and you agree, I need that. I need rest. I need the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. But the the natural tendency of the human heart goes back to the, the two points that I made earlier, the two outcomes from earlier. and So often, you take the yoke of Christ... And you start adding to it. You start taking your former burdens back. You take the, the, the yoke that Christ gives you, that, the rest that He gives you, and, and then you say, well, you know, I don't like how you're handling that, God, so I'm going to take that one back, and, and I've got that. It's okay. I can, I can do it. I can handle it. And we start taking the things that Jesus calls us to let go of, and we take them upon ourselves thinking that we can do better than God can. Or the other tendency is to add new burdens to yourself to avoid falling into the trap of your former burdens. And Christ says, no. No. It's not about what you do or don't do, but he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Me. It's not about being busy enough to impress God, thinking that if you do enough, if you're busy enough seven days a week, that somehow God might say, you know what, that's a hard worker. I like that. I'm going to let him in. It's not about having more and more rules like the Pharisees or Orthodox Jews just trying to keep yourself from even getting close to breaking a commandment. But it's only through the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born in flesh, who lived a sinless life, and that when you could not save yourself, He took your sin upon Himself, and it was nailed with Him to the cross as He died. And when He rose again three days later, not just was your punishment paid, but your sin, your guilty record was transferred off of you and onto Him and His holy status as a righteous child of God was transferred to you. And this is what the author is calling you to strive toward. Resting in what Jesus already did. You can't add to it you can't do anything to make the work of Jesus Christ any better. But you also can't fake it. And that's why the author talks about the, the living Word of God uh, being living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God examines the soul completely and thoroughly to the very core of who you are. And the Word of God forces the believer to ask himself, am I trusting in myself and what I can accomplish? Or am I trusting in what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on my behalf? And so, as we wrap up this morning, I want to challenge you will you continue to disregard Sabbath rest and ignore the holy rest that God offers you? Either by making yourself too busy to rest are adding so many rules to avoid breaking that that rest that you're actually working harder. And either way, you end up trusting more in your own effort than what Christ has already done. Or will you not just look to a future rest, but find rest for your soul now in honoring the Sabbath And trust not only for God to meet your everyday needs, but eternally resting in the greater rest Christ earned for you in His victory over the cross and the grave. Where will you find your rest? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess that far too often we do not rest well. Your Word calls us to rest and trust in what You have already done and accomplished on our behalf. But far too often, we keep ourselves busy, either avoiding that rest or trying to add to it. And God, I pray that that You would help us to find our rest in You and what Christ has already done, that our rest would be more, uh, more profound than just taking a nap, but that our rest would be a ceasing from striving to earn our righteousness. Show us how to rest and trust in what Jesus Christ has already earned on our behalf. And if there is anyone here this morning that struggles to rest in the work of Christ, God, I pray that You just meet them where they are, that Your Spirit would refresh the soul as we find our rest in the accomplished work of Christ. It's in His holy and precious and victorious name we pray. Amen.